Hello and welcome to the second episode of Business Unmuted, a new regular feature on the North East and Yorkshire Business Network on LinkedIn, as well as on YouTube and available as a downloadable podcast. After almost a year of video conferencing and working remotely, it's time for businesses to be unmuted. On today's episode, I'll be speaking to senior business leaders in the digital tech sector. Having gone from being an emerging sector, it's established itself as one of the cornerstones of the economy, contributing more than £149 billion per year. The transformative power of connectivity is integral to our success as Europe's leading tech nation. In December, the government set out the next steps in its £5 billion strategy to deliver next-generation gigabit-capable broadband to the entire country. I recently caught up with Peter Scroop, chairman of Ninet, whose business is leading the charge by bringing next-generation access to the north of England. Here's what he had to say. Very much the levelling-up agenda in as much as providing super-fast and ultra-fast broadband to urban areas has been one of the simpler tasks, but then ensuring that everywhere in the country has it available is something much more difficult. It gets much more expensive with more rural and distant areas. Uh, So that's really been my focus with Ninet, uh, has been to ensure that in North Yorkshire, um, where we have deeply rural, the largest rural county in, in England, that we do have the ability to have this for all of our businesses and all of our residents. Going forward, what do you see as the um, logistical obstacles and the financial obstacles to getting everyone levelled up to the kind of speeds that are going to be needed in order to deliver the economic gains that we all want? It gets more expensive as we get into the more remote areas. Uh, It gets more expensive, so we're going to have to look at alternative ways For example, we've got the low Earth orbit uh, satellites which are coming along. So these are not going to have the problems of the previous satellite services because they haven't got the latency issues. They're providing speeds which are the ultra fast sorts of speed. They're not necessarily going to be so cheap, but at least for businesses, they will provide a solution. Uh, We've got um, Starlink, which is literally just been given a license in the last month or so by Ofcom here in the UK. And they've now got some trial services going. Uh, But that looks like it's going to be at around the £80 per month mark, which for businesses may be acceptable, but for most households probably is not. So we're still having to find alternative solutions. And most of those may be wireless-based. Just on a personal basis, before I leave it, Peter, we've known each other for a very long time. And it's fantastic to see you chairing this important body. Um, how, how would you see the landscape having changed since you first got involved in this kind of technology all those years ago? It must be a complete revolution in your lifetime. Yeah, I think it is, and on all of our lifetimes, really. Um, mobile, I mean, we talked about, I don't think it was ever thought possible in about 1980 when we started the mobile deployment that it would cover the whole of the UK. We've still got large knot spots, and we're doing things about that. Um, and uh, we've got, you know, uh, for example, we've got another new network which we're about to launch doing the Internet of Things, which is going to cover uh, much of the Tees Valley, certainly in North Yorkshire. Um, and that's going to be able to allow public services to connect things like street lights and traffic lights and bins uh, to a very cheap network, allowing them to be able to monitor those things and to be able to provide services more cheaply to the residents and businesses in the area. I remember 
I think it was 1988, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Margaret Thatcher coming to open in Darlington what was then called Hutchinson Telecom, and uh, you were demonstrating the telephone system. She had this massive brick mobile phone to demonstrate it for the photographs. And uh, the then Trade Secretary, Lord Young, said, it won't be too long before everybody has a mobile telephone in their pocket. And they laughed at him. Commentators actually laughed at him. <laughs> and I remember that event quite clearly. It, yeah, it has proved right. to be correct, hasn't it? It has. And we'd be very pushed now without it. Just think, I mean, having this lockdown without having access to this digital technology would have been uh, really so different. Uh, it's not the same as being able to do things face to face, but it does provide a way of doing business and being able to talk to relations and friends. Uh, and I think it really has made a difference. Well, following that interesting interview with Peter Scroop, I'm joined by Richard Bendlow, who's the founder and CEO of Aero Commerce, uh, which is an e-commerce uh, platform developer. Matt Hewson, co-founder and chief operating officer of uh, CyberWhite, chief operating officer. Uh, they're headquartered in uh, County Durham and they're an established provider of cyber security. And Samuel Harrison, Sam Harrison, co-founder and managing director of Animersion UK, which is a northeast-based supplier of digital visualization tools such as VR and, and so on. Uh, so welcome. And uh, first of all, what do you make of the state of digital infrastructure now? You heard Peter talk about how it's progressing and getting hard-to-reach areas. Uh, Richard first. Um, well, I mean, obviously in, in, in cities and towns, you know, we've got got really strong infrastructure. Um, you know, most businesses now have kind of very fast broadband, um, major major kind of like areas for, for living have it. But, um, you know, as mentioned, it tends to be the rural areas. Um, like I live in Kirk Leventon. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I checked when I bought this house was how fast the, the broadband was. It was one of my kind of major, major thought processes, uh, you know, before buying the property, you know, not so much like how much land it had or, you know, what the view was like. It was how good is the broadband, knowing knowing I would have to work from home at various stages. Um, and, and it was decent, but it got worse and worse and worse. Um, and eventually it became unworkable. And, you know, so I was kind of like in a situation where, you know, I was getting really, really poor um, upload speeds, not so much the download, but the upload. Mm. Um, you know, it was it was unworkable. Um, so in the end, I had to get a lease line personally. Um, you know, which which is an absolute fortune. So you know, the the if the government can kind of help that and help people work from home, you know, then then you know, it's got to be a good thing. And, and do you think that we'll be having that same discussion in five years, or will I be asking you what about the signals of five G? Will the the actual uh, fibre of the house be as important? Uh, who would like to go on that one, Sam? Yeah, I, I can jump in. Yeah, um, I think we'll probably be having the conversation in perpetuity because um, technology continually evolves, uh, almost accelerates. Um, uh, I, I think right now, probably the infrastructure generally is OK, um, but many parts of the world, it's better. Um, and I think there just needs to be a continued focus on making sure that we're leveling up all of the time. Uh, 5G is a little bit concerning in that it's... Uh, um, it's rolling out in some parts of the world, but not yet here. Uh, you know, I think there needs to be a continual uh, 
effort and drive uh, to, to keep these things moving forward. I'm amazed that even in some business areas, there are problems like Richard was describing earlier that you don't buy a house if you haven't got decent broadband. Uh, getting the uh, broadband to some business parks is, is a big issue. You're on business park as well, uh, uh, Matt. I know you'll be having decent broadband, but do you see that as a levelling up issue? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good question and you're absolutely right. So I've got the pleasure of being in the office today and I can uh, resonate with uh, Richard in that um, I'm in the spot he was before, before he put a, a, a lease line in at home. And over the pandemic, we've all been working from home um, remotely, if, if uh, more frequently, if not permanently. And if you're like me, I've been shouting expletives out the door telling my son and my daughter to come off the ipad and you know disconnect your phone because the internet is just um it's been well everyone's sucking the life out of it mm. so yeah I, I think it's a it's it's an interesting question um i think that obviously the um the way that the world is going um at the moment we are becoming more and more connected in a digital world um you know it, you only have to look at um, certain sites like Internet Live Stats to establish how many emails have been sent today and um, how many internet users are um, worldwide, and it's quite staggering. So the need for that connectivity is certainly going to increase, and I think we've got a we've got a job to to level that up, Graham. Yes. Let's move on to the growing importance of the digital and the tech sector to the north of England, particularly when it comes to levelling up. Uh, I'm going to turn to Sam first because Sam took part in a remarkable documentary, which is being shown on Channel Four on the 22nd of February. Uh, Sam, tell people the premise of the documentary and the case you made to the Channel Four crew. Uh, well, um, the premise was uh, a, an entre a successful entrepreneur from London looking at uh, um, uh, relocating a portion of the business or, 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 or the, the portion that's growing. Um, and uh, so evaluating various areas and came to Middlesbrough to have a look at what, what, what that would offer. Um, and, and so my role was really um, uh, taking him through some of the benefits of, uh, of, of the area and, and our experiences of, of being a technology company there. Um, so, yeah, great, great project to be involved with. Tell me what the key thing you said to Channel 4 was to sell the North. Um, well, we, we talked about a number, number of things. Um, for me, one of the one of the key things is obviously the, the, uh, the, the talent in the area. There's a great deal of talent, certainly in my sector, that comes from uh, the Teesside region. Um, uh, and actually has, has been used around the world. Um, I, I, I would imagine if I was to go to most big studios, I'd find Teesside graduates there. So really there's a great deal of talent that comes from, from this region directly. Um, and there's an opportunity for some of that talent to stick around and I'd like to see it do so. Um, and I think we have, we're at an interesting junction at the moment. It's becoming clear to lots of people that they don't necessarily need to be spending nine to five in the office. I think there's a lot more flexibility for some of that creative and digital talent to be thinking about where they perhaps are based on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think there's more opportunity for, for, for companies and individuals to think about relocating to areas where perhaps housing prices and lifestyle uh, are a little bit more attractive. Um, and then 
you know, consider working remotely or spending less time in those big cities. So I think there's potential, quite quite strong potential for a bit of a reshift. I think the interesting thing about that documentary, I'll bring Richard in on this as well, is that they were saying, and it was the first time I'd seen a national commentator say this, that the North, yes, it has to ha- has to level up with manufacturing jobs and building big projects like offshore wind and HS2 and so on. But there's no reason that the geographical and financial advantage of the North shouldn't be ex- exploited uh, for the purpose of investing in digital and IT. Uh, Richard, I know you've decided you could have located your business anywhere, but you've decided Middles what would your elevator pitch be of why Middlesbrough if you were talking to a big national client? What do you say? Um, well, I'd echo, I'd echo the thoughts um, there of, uh, you know, like the, the, the tech talent is here. The university um, churns out, you know, decent kind of um, people constantly in tech. Um, we've got strong leadership from, from the mayors that are very kind of focused on tech. Buildings are getting built now around here. Um, and, you know, the cost of living here is far, far cheaper than cities. Um, I think cities are in the spotlight at the moment because of the pandemic and, the, you know, the close closeness of everybody in a city. Um, so I think kind of a lot of businesses are looking at their expensive offices in cities, expensive living, you know, in cities and starting to kind of consider, is that the right thing? Do we need this? You know, the, the pandemic has done one thing, you know, positive and, and that is kind of like brought the whole world together you know via video chat as we're doing right now we're all sat in in different places but communicating not sat around the table um you know and it's it's massively accelerated that everybody is used to it now um you know and i think it'll continue you know post pandemic and that will really kind of you know highlight places like middlesbrough where there's a a, a, a lot of talent and you know and, and we do have kind of probably one of the lowest living costs you know in the uk so i think it will it will really help and 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 obviously the mayors are investing heavily in the area so it's all positive the other thing that I thought was interesting when I was involved in this this film, because I know Sam was on it and some of my other contacts were on this film, is that you we might be able to lever uh, in the tech sector uh, into bigger firms their conscience about needing one country. The government has this levelling up agenda, which is clearly uh, stating to the country that we need to invest in all corners of, uh, of the UK. And if you have a large client uh, that has uh, that kind of value set, is it possible to say to them, look, I at AeroCommerce or I, I at Animersion are based in the Northeast. By putting your contract into the Northeast and to me, you're going to help the whole levelling up agenda of the country. Over the years that I've been in business, that's that's happened. Um, you know, we were always kind of regarded as the chief developers up north in, in some of the contracts um, that we had, you know, the, the, you know, based in with companies that were based in London. Um, you know, so, you know, I've always looked at it from the point of view of, of you know, we we charge a, a reasonable fee or we have charged in the past a reasonable fee for what we do. But, you know, that's always looked at as kind of relatively cheap. Um, I mean, like we're actually doing a project at the moment um, with, with HP and, you know, they're massive. Do you know what I mean? And But they they kind of don't care where that work's done. They just want it done for a, a reasonable cost and done and done well. Um, you know, so I think I think the kind of, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting next few years of, of, of the leveling up because I can't see geography being as much as a as a kind of um, you know difference that, that it used to be you know going forward I think it's kind okay. of we are going to level up 
Uh, and Matt, let's bring you in on this point before we move on. What what kind of um, uh, advantages are you able to demonstrate to larger clients uh, for being located uh, in County Durham? That's a good question, and I'm going to I'll answer your question, but I think there's, there's something that we probably should may have slightly overlooked, but um, it, it's certainly relevant within the context we're discussing at the moment. But when we talk about the northeast and we talk about outside of the northeast, I think there is a lot of exceptional organisations uh, in the northeast. There's some fantastic campaigns going on in terms of being able to, to develop business. We've only got to look at um, the Tees Valley and the Teesside area to look at um, the grounds and, and, and the steps that they're making in uh, the in clean energy and, and, and biomass. And we've got people like Ben Houchin shouting from the rooftops around that. Um, so, and, and of course that's based down on um, in Teesside where, where um, one of the major ports is in, in, in the country. And again, that's a, that, that, that is a direct benefit in terms of from a logistic perspective. But I think what, what, what we should concentrate on is that there is um, a number of large organisations already in the northeast um, that are doing um, some excellent things and really um, helping the regional economy um, one of the big things that we have within Cyberwhite is a real strong focus in working within the north and particularly within the uh, the northeast region. We've got a keen focus on um, looking at the northeast first, and I think a lot of our our clients um, that are based in the northeast um, uh, resonate with that and 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 go with that strategy. But in in, in terms of why other organisations from a national perspective may, may look at um, doing business in the northeast. There's been some excellent points made uh, previously. We are leading the way in, in technology. We've got some fantastic organisations like um, Software City in, in, in Sunderland uh, at the moment that um, are, are perfectly positioned in terms of being able to give advice around uh, the development of applications, um, networks and infrastructure and, and, and tech. Um, so the, the, there's a vast amount of talent. Um, there are some fantastic organisations, certainly in the cyber and tech space. Um, we're starting to get some coverage from the likes of NCSC as well also in the region. So they're really trying to fly the flag, the flag for security and combine and marry um, their efforts up with us in the tech sector. Okay, let's move on to another topic. I suppose I'm going to start with uh, Richard on this because uh, it's less than six months to go before the deadline for a global deal on how to tax the digital work world, which will see the likes of Facebook, Amazon, Google uh, paying into national counts throughout the world. The EU wants to implement a fair tax policy uh, for digital businesses. Uh, the UK introduced a digital services tax back in April 2020, a 2% tax on the very largest digital companies. France introduced a digital services tax in 2019, taxing uh, tech giants 3%. Let's look at what our contributors think about this. Richard Bendelow first. Is this a measure where I suppose governments, by changing the tax system, 
could be killing the goose that lays the golden egg. It's finely balanced, isn't it? Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you overtax um, businesses that that are you know registered overseas in this country, then they may pull out of this country, and that's not good for you know. I mean, it's it's not just the kind of corporation tax you think of. The likes of, of Facebook and Google and companies like that, the amount of people that they employ, um, the amount of kind of, um, you know, income tax that comes through, you know, as a result of employing these these people through these companies, they tend to be quite high paid. Um, you know, so there's a lot of a lot of taxes that are maybe, you know, not really looked at deeply when it comes to kind of, you know, hitting them with a big stick. Um, you know, but but I do agree that some of these large corporate corporations do, um, you know, you know, do certain sort of tax um, avoidance, shall we say, I won't use the word evasion, um, techniques to, to um, you know, to minimise the amount of tax they might pay in countries where, you know, it's, it can be maybe a little bit expensive. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite an easy way, I think, if you're quite a large corporation to, to take your intellectual property to a, to a, you know, nice tax haven based, you know, country, and then cross charge your business, you know, for, for that particular um, you know, intellectual property license fee and so on and so forth. And I think that's a kind of technique that they use. So, so when the governments are looking at these things, they're looking at ways of saying, well, okay, let's let's not look at it from a profitable level. Maybe let's look at it from you know revenue or you know from other means. And 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 that is you know as long as it's kind of fair, as long as it's not going to be too much that it drives these companies away, then I, I think that's a good step because obviously you know I pay my taxes, my business pay my taxes in the UK. You know we don't. We don't have the benefit of being able to kind of get it cheaper because we're, we're you know, we haven't put our IP offshore and whatever. So, um, you know, I think it's a, you know, it, it's a balance. You've got to find that balance. But if you do find that balance, I think it's fair and right. I think that the point is, I suppose, you have to modernise the tax system. Otherwise, we'd still be taxing windows like they did in the, uh, several hundred years ago or or you'd be, you'd be relying on fuel tax all the time or, or even relying when it comes to personal income tax on an ever diminishing group of large rich people but if you modernize the tax system you still have to find enough money to pay for your services so it's a bit of catch-22 really you, you can't pay for expensive services with with low tax can you I think as well, there's a challenge with some of this when looking at the, I suppose, the value that these companies extract. Some of it actually is almost not seen. Uh, so there's a huge amount of our data um, that's adding a great deal of value to these companies that's kind of off the books, uh, which will be really adding to their, to, the, to, to them in, in, in lots of different ways um, that probably are, uh, you know, decades away from tax people even really getting a handle on. Um, there's also the big challenge that some of these organizations, I think, specifically Amazon, um, it's an open debate as to whether they're adding value or taking value from the country more broadly. Um, certainly the high street will be is suffering in different ways because of huge organizations like that. So I think it's really important that, that there's a, an open discussion and, 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 and real thought about what value they're, 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 they're gaining from us and what, you know, and what ought to be put back as well. Uh, to potentially to support some of the uh, 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 against some of those negatives as well. And what about you, Matt? What's your view? Yeah, good question. Um, I think uh, there's a really good point actually, uh, Sam, with regards to to Amazon and and ensuring that there's a there's a, an open debate. Um, 
like everybody in business, I watch them quite closely, and I'm really impressed in terms of what they've been able to achieve in such a such a short period of time, relatively. Um, but I think what it does do is it certainly drives competition um, at, at, at a good level. And you, and you make the point that you know has Amazon uh, detracted or or, or taken um, take a competition away from the high street? Um, and I think I think the answer to that question is absolutely. Yes, it has. Um, but has that then um, given those organisations um, an opportunity to turn around and reflect and, and become um, or, or, or look to diversify? And maybe we talk about levelling up, but getting up to a level whereby um, business is done through e-commerce or, uh, or over the internet. Um, so maybe not really directly um answering your question with regards to tax but i do think that um it's a, it's, it's an interesting concept uh, richard a lot of your clients are obviously in e-commerce you provide a platform for e-commerce but sometimes it's working in reverse you are seeing some e-commerce platforms opening shops of all right pre-pandemic uh, and hopefully it would continue post-pandemic but it, it You've got clients, I suppose, companies like uh, Apple that have the Apple Store. You can buy an iPhone over the internet, but you still may want to go in and try it out in an Apple Store. Amazon itself has got a, a grocery uh, store uh, solution in America. Um, and uh, even companies that have not traditionally sold online, um, like motor vehicles and showrooms, are now moving to a twin approach where you can spec a motor car online and go and see it in a showroom. So there is coming a point, isn't there, that the two platforms, bricks and mortar and clicks, are coming together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's obviously driven by consumers. You know, it's not, you know, it's not for, for, for any of us to say, you know, what should and shouldn't happen. It's the consumers that are dictating how they want to shop now. Um, convenience is a huge factor of e-commerce. Um, obviously, it's booming at the moment because shops can't open, um, but also everybody sat at home means they're in for the deliveries. Um, it's a lot of challenges. You know, there's a lot of kind of, um, you know, grouping together and trying to, to work out the best way to go forward. But, but like you said, um, you know, the, the, there is that kind of reverse, um, you know, like system happening where, you know, a lot of retailers who have been online to start with are looking to, how they can expand next, and they're looking to to, to the high street, um, you know. But but it tends to be kind of like they're looking at it in a different way. They're looking at it from an experience point of view. So you mentioned Apple. Um, you know, you go into an Apple, like any Apple store in the world, they're all they're all the same, but they're all kind of geared around educating on using their product. They've got um, you know kind of live demonstrations going on, live um, live like kind of people talking about their products. Um, they allow kids to go in and just play on the the, the the iPads and the, and the Macs and whatever, because they know that they're, you know, the future generation of people who want to buy their products. Um, you know, so so this kind of like blended approach to, to, to e-commerce and, and the high street, this omni-channel sort of solution. A lot of the big, big companies, you know, are looking at experience for their stores. So you can, you know, when you can physically visit their stores, you know, rather than just being a, a, a store to go and pick up a product, it's becoming an experience. And I think, I think that's where, um, the high street will, you know, kind of keep its place and start, you know, and, and obviously you've got that kind of, um, you know, order online, pick up in store. You've got the the kind of, you know, return your product to somebody in store when you want to actually kind of, you know, shout at them because it's wrong or whatever it might be. So I think the high street's got a, a 
it's still got a future, but it's a different future in my view. It's it's a it's a blended future. I mean, it's it, it has been blending for many many years, but this pandemic has kind of you know brought it to the fore now. You know, a lot of companies that were high street only and haven't really embraced e-commerce have struggled. Um, you know, they're blaming e-commerce. They're saying like you know you should tax e-commerce and whatever, but in reality, um, you know, they just haven't moved with the times themselves. You know, and that's and that's you know that's not that's not e-commerce's fault. That's the company's fault, in my opinion. I'd agree with that, Richard. Sorry, sorry, Graham. And actually, um, I think what's what's really interesting is that what you're describing there is a different a different uh, buying habits. Um, I think the pandemic uh, this time around has, has certainly reshaped things. And I, I, I can tell you now, during the pandemic, I've actually I bought a settee without sitting on it. Oh, that's month. the first. Yeah, I risk. Was it okay? So, well, I don't know. It's not turned up yet. But <laughs> We've got great faith. One last point on this topic, and then I'm going to hit you with one la one last topic. Uh, uh, Sam, you devise things that could make the high street more exciting. I've seen in your um, business um, virtual reality, sort of 3D style digital displays. It's difficult to describe without showing a video, uh, which you could put uh, in shops or in public areas. Uh, that really use digital technology to make a visit to a shop or a public area more exciting. Yeah, and I mean, it's fair to say it's been a fairly quiet area for us over the last year, but it's something we've done a lot of in the past uh, in visitor attractions and in retail, putting in holographic displays and, and, and the right content in that space. Um, interestingly, I think the UK is really far behind the curve on this. It's something that we've, we about three or four years ago, we had a run of, of some really interesting projects in, in South America and the likes where we were, we, we were selling the hardware and content into those areas, but very hard to get UK retailers really interested in that at the time. I think that calculus will be changing quite rapidly at the moment, but I do think I completely agree. We need to turn, uh, you know, the high street needs to think about becoming a, a you know, destination um, somewhere where people are thinking about going for their entertainment and experiences, you know, something that draws them there, uh, because they're, they're simply never going to compete with the uh, with the with the uh, convenience of buying online. And a lot of these immersive technologies, they're getting into the homes right now and offering some of that too. So augmented reality is going to be pretty huge in terms of examining products at home, seeing how they fit into your house, etc. So that experience digitally is leaching into people's homes. And that retail experience at home is only going to get stronger. Um, so the the high street really needs to look at it's it's no longer a, a utility, a place you go just to achieve a certain objective. It's got to draw you there with some real added value, and some of that will have to be you know fun. And they've got to do things that you can't do online, and that's getting increasingly hard. It's a challenging thing. Okay, I've got one last question. Quick round robin. It's a bit of a blindsider on this. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I've put this video together. And I found it very difficult to find a woman who would take part in the video. I know that there are talented women working in IT, but it is a, a bit of a truth. Maybe it's stereotype, but there's a truth to the stereotype that there aren't enough women working in IT. What is your experience about recruiting women and what, where are you in each of your businesses in getting more women into the sector? Uh, and to start with you, Sam, because I've been into your business quite recently and I know there are some talented women in the business. But in general, what would you say? Um, well, I suppose firstly, it's quite difficult for small businesses. I'm really keen that we have as diverse a team as possible. Um, when we, you know, every time we get more diverse, I see it, you know, add, add to the quality and culture of the company, I think. Um, 
Um, in terms of, uh, uh, I suppose, the development end of things, the the the, um, the technical software side of things, we've we've made efforts in that space, and it's extremely difficult. I think there's the 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 the, uh, the pool of talent out there is is unfortunately smaller, um, not not through ability at all. Just I think just through the, uh, um, uh, I suppose the the culture that we live in, and it's going to take a while for that to change. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I, sorry, I'm just going to say. I mean, but we do make efforts across the board. So I mean, certainly, um, as you move up towards the management level within Animotion, uh, I would say that's now uh, probably uh, uh, more female than male. Okay, fine. Uh, Richard, do you think they still needs to make greater efforts to encourage women, maybe at entry level uh, and at university and college level, to get involved in the tech sector? Well, I think I think that's happening. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of. Um, initiatives out there, um, you know, which maybe hasn't quite filtered through to, um, to, to to kind of like employment level just yet, but certainly in the kind of education sector, I think there's a lot of a lot of initiatives for women to get more into into the tech side of things. You know, you know, as was said, you know, it's, you know, there's there's we've got a lot of uh, a lot of women in our business and in my previous business. Um, but at the technical level, you know, at the kind of developer programmer level, you know, that tends to be male dominated. But I think that is going to shift over the next few years. I just don't think we've seen it built quite into employment level just yet. Okay, and Matt, last word to you. Yeah, so um, a re really interesting topic and a, a, a good point, uh, a, a point um, some good points made from from, from Richard there. I, I, I'm not entirely sure as to whether or not the, the, the whole techie piece is going to see um, an increase in, in, in women joining in those roles. And I, I just wonder if that's more down to interest than anything else. Um, but what but what I would say from a, a cultural um, diversity perspective, we have, um, we obviously employ women. And I think in terms of what they bring to the business, it's, it's second to none. We've got two directors, uh, women within the business, and they really give, give us a, a, a an honest steer in terms of um, where the business is going and give us a bit of a shake up actually when when we need when we need it um i think the the, the whole value piece um around what women bring uh, to the business and, and to the tech sector is is really really important but i think we have got a long way to go in terms of encouraging them into the industry um, there's a lot to do um, but there's there's a lot of promise in that space. Thank you very much to all of you, to uh, Matt, uh, to Sam and to Richard.